Welcome, everybody, to our final ASCO GU podcast. <laughs> um, we are uh, we're joined by uh, Niraj again. Um, Niraj, we're going to introduce. Uh, we're going to ask you to introduce yourself in a second. But Niraj, we did. You gave the contact to presentation, um, and then you uh, did a podcast with us. Um, Kim gave a commentary of your uh, your abstract, and then you uh, and then you also uh, he also did a podcast with us. And there were areas where you obviously agreed, which is terrific. There were areas where there wasn't complete alignment, which is also terrific, because one of the purposes of of, of what we do is to try and really tease out those areas where um, where there isn't agreement so we can try and find the two perspectives. And Niraj, maybe you'd like to just talk a bit about how things have gone since the presentation and, and that discussion and, 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 and the things that you are, uh, that you are, uh, and, and how you feel about how things have gone. Yeah. Uh, thank you again to both of you to allow me to present uh, my case, if you will. And uh, <laughs> two, or, two or three things came up. Uh, number one was the control NHTR, uh, why we did not use chemotherapy. So I Niraj, say... there, may be, there may be one or two people, one or two listeners, I find it hard to believe, but there may be one or two listeners who haven't heard our previous podcasts. <laughs> um, and so under those circumstances, you might just want to give, or I can do a very top line um, of contact too, which is a big randomised phase three study of castrate-resistant prostate cancer a degree of enrichment for patients with visceral metastasis and a uh, study of cabozatinib plus atezolizumab um, versus an ARPI. Um, uh, so that's a sequenced ARPI, essentially. And um, the, uh, the results showed a, uh, a higher response rate. Um, it also showed... A, a disease-free survival hazard ratio, I think, of about R- zero. RPFS, Tom. Yeah, okay, an RPFS. Was, was it about 0.65? Is that fair? Yes. And, and then an OS of 0.78, if I remember correctly. Was it 7.8? Yes, 7.9. Seven, very nine. close, yeah. Uh, not too bad. Um, and yes. obviously tolerability in, in line with expectations. I think the tolerability in the combination arm was, was less good than the, the, the ARPI, as you would expect. And uh, and there were some issues which were highlighted, um, two or three things. Number one is, was the control arm correct? Number two was, um, did the atezolizumab add anything? Because we know that cabozatinib in a previous trial has shown a PFS advantage. So I think those were two of the more controversial issues. Is that right? Yes, I think the most uh, uh, highlighted issue by uh, our respected colleague, Dr. Kim Chi, was the control arm. Uh, he was, uh, uh, obviously it was his job to be critical of the trial as a discussant. So full respect to his opinions. So that was the first. And then second, which came once in a while, why we did not have cabozantinib as a, as a monotherapy arm in this uh, trial. Yes. So that, yeah. So those are the two things. Which one do you want to take on first, Niroj? Which, yeah. which one do you fancy? Yeah, I'd first. like to like to uh, take the issue on the control arm first, if that is right. okay. And before I start, I will, you know, as we think about this situation, uh, it is important to remember a key tenet of clinical trials. When we when we are discussing the trials with the patients, we always outline risk, benefit, alternatives, and I will emphasize here alternatives. 
And if people feel that chemotherapy is a preferred alternative treatment, then they should render that in the discussion with the patient outside of the context of the clinical trial. And we have to keep in mind the real-world evidence which suggests that only a minority of patients actually opt to receive chemotherapy, which I can elaborate on later if you prefer. Uh, the second point is no randomized trial has ever shown superiority of docetaxel over a second NHT after the failure of first NHT and prior to docetaxel therapy in the MCRPC setting. So those are the two most important points I like to raise first. And then I can give you some examples of the recent, recently reported trials where both enzalutamide and uh, second NHT and docetaxel have very similar PFS after in the MCRPC setting with prior NHT. So second NHT and, enzalut and docetaxel both have a very similar PFS of nine months and 8.3 months each. So I will I will let you decide where how much you want to delve into this. I mean I guess the 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 way I look at it is it, you're right I think it's a good point that if if you're a clinician taking care of a patient and you, you don't have equipoise right you think this patient needs chemo well then obviously those those patients don't make it on trial presumably right so that's sort of the big picture context of what you offer a patient in your clinic you know whether it's a trial or standard of care. I also think it, yes you you know, sometimes we do control arms because the purpose of a trial is to show that a drug or regimen is safe and effective, not necessarily compared to everything else, but just standing on its own. And that's the FDA standard that is this drug or in this case, is this regimen safe and effective? And, you know, we've been criticized for using Everolimus and 005 as an example. And so I think imperfect control arms are just a part of our life, but but are okay when it allows you to, you know, show that again, a drug is, is safe in this setting. So I don't, I don't know. And, and it's been used in many other trials, right? Yeah. You know, so I, 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 I don't have as much of a problem with that, Tom. I don't know your thoughts, but. I guess the point which I think Kim made was that patients with visceral metastasis should be getting docetaxel. And that is it possible that patients, you know, although the, the outcome of the two arms with docetaxel and with an, another ARPI are the same, that might be because there's a degree of patient selection in that the patients getting docetaxel or other ones with more aggressive disease. And so I think when he said he would have been uncomfortable to randomize patients in the study, I'm guessing he's, he's focusing on, on, the, on that particular group of patients. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Tom. And I will just give you numerous examples in the MCRPC setting. And I would like to highlight that every single MCRPC trial have patients with visceral metastasis, liver metastasis. It may be more in some trials, less in some trials. But just to give you an example of PSMA4 trial of lutetium, vision trial with lutetium, a splash trial with lutetium, which was actually led by our dear friend, Dr. Kim Chi, who was the discussant, all of them have control arm as a second NHT arm. And then recently started two trials of ODM208, which is, as you know, deeper steroid synthesis inhibitor, which inhibit key, the key enzyme CYP11A1, I think, also known as MK5684. And these are two large randomized trials of 1,000 patients each or more, actually, which are again using a second NHT as the control arm compared to MK5684. And I think it's very reasonable 
and it is these are all approved by regulatory, <coughs> regulatory authorities because again we do not have a clear or randomized evidence that docetaxel is superior to second nht after one prior nht so i don't i don't necessarily see any real downside to it and i cannot even imagine if these trials will ever finish accrual if we mandate forced chemotherapy for our patients to go on this trial so and, the yeah. so so one of the studies the the i think it was the pmsa4 study patients with um um hrr alterations i think they were excluded and um and, and i'm under the impression that in the in the splash study patients with visceral metastasis weren't permitted is that correct or not i we don't have the full data yet but the psmf4 trial did have 5% patients with visceral metastasis or uh, liver metastasis actually i do not have the number on visceral because we don't have the full paper for splash and and uh, the psmf4 so i'm still waiting to see but before when we design the trial we do not know how many patients will be coming on the trial with liver metastasis so yes and there why... were less number yeah and why did your study have more patients with visceral metastasis? Because one of the things that was apparent is there was a slightly different population. You did have more visceral metastasis in your study. Yeah. Why was um, and uh, why was that? Why was there enrichment for that group? Yeah, so uh, it's partly because of the requirement for soft tissue metastasis, the measurable metastasis, because uh, uh, there were concern, there were there were speculations that carbozantinib can make RPFS better in bone metastasis based on the prior data from the COMET-1 trial that, or even trials before, which were presented in 2012, that bone scans may look better when patients may not be benefiting or PFS may not be actually high. We had to exclude bone metastasis only patients. So when you exclude bone metastasis only patients, obviously this was a upward selection of patients with soft tissue metastasis. And many of the soft tissue metastasis, I would say 75% of these patients, more than 75% patients either had lymph node metastasis, extra pelvic, or lung metastasis, which we know they actually have better prognosis than patients with bone metastasis. So trial, yes, trial had visceral metastasis, partly because we had to focus on measurable disease by a soft tissue based on our previous uh, discussions with regulatory authorities. Right. So it was an attempt to get a better estimate of the regimen effect and you weren't, if you will, misled by Cabo's effect on bone scan, which I'm still not sure we understand well. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. I, I, I think, I, I think the, I mean, the other main point was the, you know, not having a Cabo control arm. And to me, frankly, probably a bigger issue, right? It gets the contribution of components, of course. You know, the, the story of immune therapy is a checkered one at best in prostate cancer, and I don't buy into as much as Cabo's immunomodulatory effect, et cetera. I think we've dispelled that notion in kidney cancer. You know, I think it's more additive than anything. So so maybe address that, you know, given Comet 1 results and the tr this trial design, you know, address the, the lack of Cabo control. Yes. Uh I'd just like to make a very quick comment, which I made during the presentation on, on the CAR trial uh, uh, when it came up. I'm like, patients, uh, the question is about patients who have visceral metastasis. 
nobody is uh, worried about patients who have lymph node metastasis. So in mm-hmm. the CAR trial, about 15, I would say 15, 20% patients had visceral metastasis. And this is in the main paper. Uh, and just for a viewer's recollection, CAR trial was cabazitaxel versus second NHT after prior disease progression on an NHT and docetaxel chemotherapy. If you look at the PFS hazard ratio in patients with visceral metastasis, it was 0.79 with uh, favoring cabazitaxel, which was not considered significant. And even if we assume low number of patients, confidence interval uh, crossing one, even PFS hazard ratio of 0.79 doesn't seem very effective to me. So I personally think there is no obvious evidence that docetaxel or cabazitaxel are better choices than alternate NHT in MCRPC setting with visceral metastasis, with due respect. And then, yeah, go ahead. So just on that, so that's quite controversial because I think many people feel the issue there is that, that and and of course the CARD trial has its own imperfections. And while 0.79 may not be, you know, hazard ratios in the 0.7s is often seen. I mean, I've done randomized trials with hazard ratios and the 0.8s that are statistically significant. So... Um, so I think that I think that issue around visceral metastasis does seem to be an issue which keeps which keeps coming back with this. And I guess a, little, a bit of it's around the performance of the control arm and the control arm in in your study performed less well than some of these other studies. Is that is that fair or not? Yeah, uh, because we were not measuring bone scans uh, in the in the primary PFS analysis and we know that these patients had measurable soft tissue metastasis by recessed 1.1. And at least based on my own experience, that disease tend to move, or it is easier to establish, faster to establish disease progression if I have measurable disease than bone scans, which I have to measure again after six to eight weeks with a repeat bone scan. It has to have two or more new lesions per PCWG3. So it is possible that because it was recessed 1.1 based PFS uh, analysis, and there is no precedence for that in the MCRPC setting that could have led to a RPFS of uh, 4.2 months in the control NHTR. But these are different trials, different population. So I will not have the (coughs) answer. But in your opinion, the visceral metastasis, liver metastasis can be adequately treated with sequencing um, ARPI? At least I can tell that we don't have evidence that taxane is better than NHT in patients with visceral metastasis after failure of one NHT. Maybe we have some drug. Tabotezo showed a hazard ratio for PFS of 0.43. So I'm really hoping that we have this combination available so we have better option for our patients with visceral metastasis. Did, did... I just want to get back to the the lack of Cabo control arm. I, I take what you're saying, Niraj, right? There's resist, you know, and, and interpretation of bone scan introduces challenges. There's really no precedent here. So you could argue that that control arm should have been better or should have been worse. I mean, I, you know, and, and as you say, it's hard to compare across trials, but, and, and we all understand the limitations of having every single perfect control arm, but do you think a Cabo control arm might've provided some clarity about the benefit of a Tezo? Absolutely. We did discuss about this. And again, we came to the point that we already have a negative trial, COMET-1 trial from the past. It was a large phase three trial. 
and even though patient population is different it is there were more similarities versus difference 80% patients in contact 2 had bone metastasis versus 100% patients in uh, almost 100% patients in comet 1 so with a negative phase 3 trial we thought it would be very difficult to have an equipoise between cabotizo versus cabo and we thought it will be uh, not feasible to to do a trial which would have been much larger it would would have been a much higher risk trial and i think that's why we decided not to include cabozantinib as a third arm in this trial neuroj just so in the original cabozantinib versus prednisolone study the hazard ratio for pfs was about 0.5 is that right yes yeah you are and absolutely correct 0.48 very close yeah so the 0.48 pfs that would have been a positive that's a positive study i mean the trial was negative because the os was the primary endpoint but yes. in the trial that you, that you that you've led just now the os is immature but the moment negative at 0.78 and the part of the trial that is positive is the pfs and here you're in the mid 0.6s all be it against a different control arm where the previous trial was actually from a hazard ratio perspective more positive for pfs although prednisolone was the control arm so i guess some people are coming back and said well actually while people say the cabo trial was negative it actually would have been very positive but you know 0.48s positive in anyone's with anyone's money um for pfs and the os which which i think was very negative at one point you know about 1.0 so i guess that criticism coming back is actually you've achieved the same endpoint as they would have achieved but the endpoints was one was os and one was pfs which is why yours is positive and theirs is negative what do you say to that yeah um, i all i'm telling you is why we did not include cabo as the third arm because there were again feasibility issues uh, high risk nature of the trial you would have required lot more patients and and the bottom line is we all discussed that there was a as you said tom again we are comparing apples with oranges different uh, population different endpoints here but it's still a with a track record of a negative phase 3 we thought it would be difficult to establish an equipoise as far as randomization randomization is concerned i think i mean i think it's probably as much of a practical decision I I honestly think there'd be equipoise again in part based on the lack of effective immune therapy in other prostate cancer settings but but it but we all understand the practical nature of you know a three arm trial is much more big and expensive and complicated than a two arm trial um but I think that's probably one of the main challenges is you know that previous comet trial was negative but it was positive <laughs> if you did that trial today you'd probably say yeah our pfs benefit 0.48 let's go right i mean yeah you know so it's just a different era and a different context and then the bone scan issue as you mentioned so um you know be interesting to see obviously how the regulatory agents agencies view this moving forward i agree um, with you brian you've been on odac you have yes. had to you've had to make difficult um you've had to make difficult decisions if 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 this came to odac what do you think would happen if they were looking for a broad label um what would how, where would you set your your tent my tent i think mm-hmm. all the issues we've been talking about would come up you know uh i e contribution of components lack of effective you know proven effective immune therapy in other prostate cancer settings you know everything we've talked about would come up you know in spades right and so um 
I don't know. I think I'd struggle. I think if there was an OS benefit, it'd be a different conversation. You know, I think with an RPFS benefit, given all the limitations, I think that's what that's what's going to be limiting, you know. And so we'll see sort of what happens and obviously what happens with the OS, right? We don't have the final word on OS, but I think with, an, you know, something with a convincing OS benefit, it's hard to hard to vote against, you know, even just every, every trial has limitations, but with just RPFS, that'll be a question too, is how much benefit is that really? I don't remember the absolute difference, but that, that often comes up like, gee, how much benefit is this two or three month RPFS difference? <coughs> no, well, we didn't talk about Tom, I'm worried about your cough. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm actually doing extremely well. Okay. Thank you, Brian. Good, good. Yeah. So I'd put it down to more of an <laughs> irritation than a cough. Did it? Yeah, I think the windows noise in the background and my cough together are making the podcast almost impossible. Anyways, what happens next with this study? Do we do we get a final OS readout in the future? I'm guessing there's recycled alpha kicking around. When and and I, I know you're not allowed, probably might not be allowed to say, but but is there when when can we expect to see a different another OS signal? I think we are uh, waiting for uh, some time this year uh, for the final OS analysis, and uh, we will continue to. Uh, follow the patients for subsequent therapies, and we are we will be looking for uh, other uh, measures such as durability of response and so on. So I think more data to come this year for sure. I think Any... this is good, Tom. What do you think? I mean, I think you know these are just what we deal with in drug development, right? These are not new issues, but this sort of I think it sort of came <laughs> to a head because in partner right because the results were maybe unexpected, right? I think because of the immune therapy history and maybe the Cabo history, I think when you produce unexpected results, there's, you know, not inappropriately an extra level of scrutiny. I think we should, I think we should dedicate this series of podcasts when you do more than one in a series after a meeting to Mike Atkins. Cause I think he could, he, <laughs> I think we should, cause I think Mike, I think Mike's, you know, Mike spawned this process with ASCO last year. We've done it at every meeting since. I think, Brian, in the future, every meeting, we should find the most topical issue and try and really kind of thrash it out and bring the people back a second time for, you know. Sounds like a plan. This is um, this sounds like fun. Uh, we'll have to ask Mike if we can borrow his name to it. But... Yeah, no, I haven't asked Mike, by the way. Mike, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and don't tell Mike if you're listening, please. <laughs> Let me break him the news if possible. Okay, I'll send a quick email. Um, Niraj, you've been amazing. Brian, you've been amazing. Um, I'll see you both soon. Thank you. You too. All right. Thanks for joining again, Niraj. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Brian.